Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov. Petko, you're back home. I am back home from RSA. We saw each other at RSA just last week. and uh, so much fun. You know, yeah, we got to record a podcast in person, which was interesting. Yeah. With the ambulances in the background and other noises. And exactly. It was awesome. Keeping it real, baby. Keeping it real. And, uh, and now we're going to get into strategy, right? Yes. Yes. So I'm excited. I'm really excited for today's guest because this is like one of my favorite topics. Please welcome to the podcast, Alana Cohen. She's the Chief Legal Officer, Chief Policy Officer, and Corporate Secretary at HackerOne. And she was formerly Senior Lawyer to President Obama and served as General Counsel of the White House Office of Management and Budget. Welcome, Alana. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. And I'm sorry I missed you at RSA. It sounds like a fun time. Yeah, we were, yeah. I was there, but I... I did not get a chance to to see you record your podcast live, which was a disappointment. Oh, that would have been awesome. We were posted up in the St. Regis. They have this terrace place on the fourth floor and, you know, not really good for soundproofing, but wonderful for, for kind of catching up with, with folks. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting topics we, we talked about was something that's kind of trending, much like uh, the national cybersecurity strategy now. And given your background, I would be interested in your perspective there. Yeah, I mean, um, the cybersecurity strategy came out last month, or I guess it's May 1st, so um, a couple months ago. And, you know, it it really is like a very comprehensive approach to to our nation's digital security. And so it was terrific to see it. It was uh, the amount of effort that goes into creating a document like that, just the sheer coordination internal to the government is really uh, something to behold. And, you know, that's just the beginning, though. Uh, now they actually have to implement it, which is the hard part. Um, and the last couple of pages of this of the strategy talks about the implementation that's forthcoming. So you know, there's there was a lot in that document, and we can digest that as we go along. But um, there's also a lot to come as well. What were the key highlights from the strategy, just so we can kind of tease it out as we're talking about it? That you yeah, thought sure. were really interesting. Well, first, I mean, we were really excited to see that the administration called for um, coordinated vulnerability disclosure across all technologies in all sectors. So as that's something that HackerOne um, runs. We run vulnerability disclosure programs. And so we were really um, very happy to see that. But the bulk of the strategy is about moving from um, man, uh, voluntary to sort of certain mandatory requirements. That's certainly one of the key differences between the prior strategies and this strategy. And so uh, as former general counsel of the Office of Management and Budget, as you mentioned, um, you know, it's kind of exciting to see them move to, uh, you know, a call for certain regulatory action that played a pretty prominent part in the national cyber strategy. I mean, we're so used to seeing regs in other areas of our lives, like we're comfortable with it when it comes to food safety or automobile safety, we don't think twice of those regulations. But we haven't traditionally been comfortable with it when it comes to sort of technology safety. And so, especially when you're talking about sort of the safety and security of public services, it's really important to get that right. 
I actually like how you're framing it as a safety problem because I think we always associate cybersecurity as just a technical problem or a technical glitch, but never as a safety. You know, and that's a, that's a key thing that I think is critical. I mean, and how do we, outside of making, you know, change the terminology to focus more on safety, do you think organizations are going to really be proactive in the regulatory space here? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you see them, like, is there, is there, do they need, I imagine the government's going to have some program here with funding coming up, but do you think if we had the funding that organizations will be more proactive in meeting the reg- regulations outlined in the strategy? It really just depends. I mean, there's no consistent approach across the board when it comes to safety around these um, services. And so that's kind of the point of the strategy is to level the playing field, to make sure that where there are areas of critical infrastructure or you know where disruption of services could really impact Americans very broadly, that we have a consistent approach so that, you know, we do protect uh, those Americans that we ensure that, you know, there's like that steady baseline that makes sure we're uh, we're not going to disrupt the population or the economy or really, you know, ensure that people are not harmed. So it, 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 it does vary. I mean, just speaking of Americans and just the population, like I keep hearing that even even if we had the funding, we're still going to have a huge challenge trying to recruit for new candidates given the shortage. Like, are there any, do you have any recommendations on how, I guess, national agencies or even cybersecurity organizations can identify new recruits or, you know, leverage kind of some kind of, given the shortages? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, well, there is a shortage. Um there's no question. I do think that funding can help that, but I also think we need to think outside the box when it comes to the cybersecurity talent gap. So, you know, funding can be devoted to education, for example, like, you know, the government could work with academic institutions to sort of introduce cyber education at a young age. That's not going to, you know, change things overnight, but it is going to make a long-term difference. I mean, things that actually the Girl Scouts, I don't know if you're following what the Girl Scouts are doing, but they are really very heavily investing in cybersecurity mm-hmm. and cybersecurity education. And I really hope that that's the sort of cybersecurity workforce of the future. Right. I think that could have a huge potential to impact the um, cybersecurity workforce in a terrific way. You know, the other thing that we could do is, you know, potentially, um, you know, work with by expanding access to sort of non-traditional pathways like cybersecurity certificates or accreditation. We have uh, hackers who are terrific, uh, could make terrific cybersecurity, um, you know, policy officials or uh, workers. And, you know, they might take a less traditional path to CISO, but certainly would be just as accomplished. So I do think there's, with the right funding and with thinking outside the box, you can get a pretty good cybersecurity workforce, but it might take time. Yeah. How how early should we be introducing cyber, though, too? I mean, I, I think back on, you know, my my youth. And I think they had introduced in junior high and I'm really old just for context. And, um, like <laughs> Hardly. It was computers or something, you know, like DOS or something like that. And, you know, kind of, a, a, I guess minimal coding in junior high school, which was really fascinating to me. And I realized my shortcomings of that time. 
Um, but I'm just wondering, like, if they were to start introducing more, you know, cyber curriculum or things, um, you know, earlier than, let's say, a, a high school mention or, or something like that. I mean, is that how we're also going to try to feed the funnel? Oh, absolutely. And let's be honest, kids are on technology at, you know, way earlier than high school and sometimes, you know, a lot earlier even than junior high. So, you know, they're going to find the technology anyway. So we might as well make productive use of that and, you know, foster it through cyber education. There was, um, I don't know if you remember years ago, he was like nine or eight years old. This kid was hacking his toys. And like, you know what I mean? And, and so he like built this, now he's like a CEO of a company. He's like 14. Um, you know, but I, I think about that when you have that kind of access, right. At such young an age, you know, that it seems like, I mean, these kids could be, we should be hiring them like, you know, out of elementary school. I don't know. Like as, as consultants, because it's just, I, I just feel like there's so much brain trust there, just uh, opportunity. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we, you know, we, the hacker one has proudly been hacking the Pentagon since 2016. <laughs> um, and we also hack the Air Force, among many other government agencies. And, you know, we had, I think, um, a young man who uh, hacked the Air Force. He was under 18. He had to do so with the permission of his parents. He he did it uh, very successfully. I think maybe under 10 minutes he hacked the Air Force. And now he's working at CISA, um, working for the government in a cybersecurity strategy wow. and policy role. So that's an example of, you know, start like these these folks are starting young um, and they have great talent and we should take advantage of that talent. And then maybe that, that, you know, pathway is not as typical. Now, meanwhile, he went on to do many great things and got a great education, but, but lots of, you know, there's a lot of potential there. But you, you know, it's interesting. You call them hackers, but it's really ethical hacking, right? Because I think like it, hacking has a negative connotation kind of. <laughs> well, it's, see, I think of hackers as ethical and we can say ethical hackers and or you know you can call them security researcher researchers and then that by contrast there are cyber criminals mm. um and you know they're going to continue to do what they do and so we want to make sure our hackers are um you know getting ahead of identifying vulnerabilities so that the cyber criminals don't exploit them it's interesting. I'm reading a book called Hacker's Mind, and it has a. It's really clearly talks about how hacking is really just getting someone to do something it was not expected, but it's not illegal. You know, so they kind of approach it from the standpoint of, you know, hacking a technology or hacking something that could do something that was not originally intended to do, but it's still legal. You know, but we always associate it to something illegal, and it makes me wonder. Like, you're a lawyer at Hacker One. I bet sure. you see a lot of illegal things. <laughs> And I'm wondering no. <laughs> <laughs> with cybersecurity. Well, I guess I'm trying to. I'm, what I wanted to get to is like I'm not used to having a lawyer and cyber be in the same sentence, even. So I'm kind of like, how does that intersect? How does your legal expertise intersect with cybersecurity? And I guess like how important is for like legal teams just to understand cybersecurity in today's digital landscape? Oh, it's critical. I mean, um, let me take a step back. I mean. What I do as a lawyer it, at, you know, within cyber is, you know, I help make sure that folks understand what's legal and what's not legal. So, you know, we de the Department of Justice just issued um, guidance, actually, that said 
if you're a good faith security researcher and you are, you know, and you are ethically hacking, then we're not going to charge you under, you know, the relevant statute. We're going to make sure that you have the ability to do what you want to do because it helps us as a government. It also helps um, companies make sure that their products and their services are secure. And so that is essential to make sure that you understand that and that you understand like what's within, you know, the scope of that guidance and then what's like well outside the scope of that guidance. But so that's like in terms of the, and that's, that's both legal, but it's also policy. And so um, hacker one just launched uh, this hacking policy council, which I'd love to talk to you about as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we spent a lot of time sort of, talking about policy, but in the context of like these statutes and laws that you have to understand. Um, And then there's like the sort of more specific work that I do at the company. And I'd say all companies need lawyers who have at least a basic understanding of tech. And that's because if you have a a breach, if you ultimately have a breach, it's going to be the lawyer who is working hand in hand with the tech officials in the company in order to make sure you're driving that to success, that you're, you know, you're not, you understand the investigation, you're, you know, responsibly mitigating it, you're notifying everyone who's affected, um, and you're trying to prevent it in the future. And that's both because the lawyers do it in part because, you know, you want to protect the privilege associated with that investigation, but also, you know, lawyers are capable of driving investigations generally in order to make sure you understood what happened and you make sure it doesn't happen in the future. So, you know, there's a lot of actual relationship between um, legal and uh, and cyber. Actually, I'd say that lawyers often think like I, I, I often think that lawyers sometimes think like coders, right? Because, you know, it's all very precise and, you know, you you have one uh, mistake and it could blow everything up. And so um, there's a lot of similarity between the, the various fields. That's really interesting, actually. I've never thought of it th- that they're so close that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, ask a hacker if he, feels the, he or she feels the same. Maybe they'll give you a different answer. I, I, I can just imagine. You remind me of a lawyer. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hilarious. Uh, you, you, you mentioned uh, the hacker, Hacking Policy Council. I think I read that it was uh, you guys just recently partnered uh, with the Center of Cybersecurity Policy and Law to form it. Yeah. Could you kind of elaborate on like what are the key challenges that it aims to address? Sure. Well, this is exciting. We've never had a policy council or even an advocacy group that focused on issues of interest to hackers. I mean, we have so many obscure groups in Washington that are designed to protect every interest. But so it's a it's a real miss that we have never had a group focused on hackers and hacking. And the reason it's so important is because, look, good faith security research it really does drive our the security of our system. And so uh, it's the backbone of, of our security um, infrastructure. So it's really important to make sure that if they're going to do such a service to, for us, that we need to make sure that we're looking out for them. And so there's, you know, the U.S., as I mentioned, has come a really long way in terms of understanding the value of 
ethical hackers and making sure that their interests are protected. As I think I just mentioned, you know, you, what I was in the White House at the time, actually, that the Hack the Pentagon program was launched. And that was the first time there was ever a bug bounty program in the U.S. government. And the discussions in the White House at that time, like the consternation and concern about, you know, inviting hackers into uh, like to hack a Pentagon system, you know, they were very different than the conversations that you would hear today in the White House, given that, as I just mentioned, they just announced to, you know, in their strategy, we should have this, these kinds of programs in every sector, in every technology, right? So huge, huge change. Um, but it's not quite the case across the world. And so the U.S. like system is a little bit further advanced here. States are also, um, in certain states, are lagging behind. Um, you know, the Hacking Policy Council just went to the U.K. Um, in a letter, in formal writing, and in meetings to tell them, you know, you're you're thinking about revising your statute um, that uh, that would affect hackers in a negative way. So we're we're trying to make sure we're exploring, uh, you know, laws that affect hackers right. across the world um, to make sure that ethical hackers can do their work and continue to to keep us all safe. I'm curious, like you you're making a distinction here between ethical hacking and like malicious hacking because it's better to have someone ethical that tells you how they got in versus right. someone who gets in and takes your data and doesn't tell you about it but like how do we educate the public on that distinction because i think right. we, the music the industry kind of puts it up in just hackers right yeah. but i think there's Bad. an important play yeah. there's a poor distinction here for cybersecurity one's a partner the other's a criminal, right? right? Like, how do we educate yeah. the public? Um, I mean, I, I think hack, the Hacking Policy Council is one way, but like, what is there something else we should be doing? I'd love to get your perspective on that. Well, you know, we have customers who might come to us with some reluctance to start, or prospective customers, I should say, who might come to us with some reluctance, like, oh, I don't know, legal is telling me this is really difficult. Can I really let hackers into my system, right? And all it takes is literally one vulnerability, like, to get them on board, right? You have this one, you hire a team of ethical hackers, and they can seek out the organization's vulnerabilities and prevent them from, you know, being exploited by cyber criminals. And you just get that first vulnerability and they really, their eyes open and all of that concern disappears, like just almost immediately. So, you know, we have very long standing customers like the Pentagon and others because they see the value in being able to find those bugs and fix them before they're exploited because the criminals will come they will find them you know they will exploit them there's no question about that so you want to make sure you've got it right to begin with and i think just like repeating those successes um over and over again are going to continue to bring you know more more folks on board i bet you've I mean, seen take the, a, yeah go ahead i was gonna say i bet you've seen the bug bounty program quite oh, a, you know evolve yes. since you started at you know back in at omb like that was the first real bug na- nationwide bug program has evolved since then like how has hacker one evolved in the vulnerability space and the bug bounty program space how do you, you know you've kind of have this bird's eye view from conception to where we are now how has it changed can you share any success stories 
Yeah, I mean, well, just take a look at the Hack the Pentagon program has been tremendously successful. There's been, you know, 40 plus bug bounty programs over there, like over 1400 security researchers. I think they found over 2000 vulnerabilities in the Pentagon. So just in the Pentagon alone, um, there's been a tremendous success. And there's also they've just expanded that uh, recently in a pilot to the defense industrial base. So all of the contractors now, or not all of the contractors, but um, it would be great if all of the contractors to the Defense Department also had a similar program just because of the value. Um, the, the There's just been a huge evolution in the federal government because um, in 2016, that, as you, you know, that was the very first time that any agency had uh, had implemented a vulnerability disclosure program. And then in 2020, the Office of Management and Budget, as well as CISA, they issued guidance that said every agency should have a, you know, vulnerability disclosure program. So, you know, huge evolution there in terms of the federal government's approach. Um, and it'd be great to see that same, you know, set of requirements apply to anybody who touches the federal government system. Um, you know, I worked when I was in the White House, I worked on cybersecurity breaches mm -hmm. in addition to cybersecurity policy and strategy and law. And so one at, during the time that we were there, you know, the Office of Personnel Management was breached and it affected 20 million employees and like a billion records. And, you know, the person got in through a contractor. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to make sure that we, uh, you know, expand uh the sort of requirements around vulnerability disclosure programs to all folks who access government systems. But we're getting there. Like it's, you know, like I said, that defense industrial based pilot was a huge success. Um, and as has, you know, all these federal programs that have launched in the, since the requirements began. Yeah. It's, um, I, 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 I dare to venture here too. And it, when I, I, you talk about kind of basically proactive, right? Vulnerability hunting. And, and when I think about proactive security, it, it all, it naturally leads me to the discussion of offensive, you know, you, you got your defensive and your offensive tactics. And, and I just wonder when, when are we going to start addressing that element too? Cause it is, is that kind of the next step of, of how we get ahead of the threat? I mean, just your perspective. I'm just, you know, spitballing here. Well, what do you mean when you say go on the offense? Because I think of that as more of like a cyber command kind of responsibility, <laughs> not a hacker responsibility. Because, you know, I, and, and I'm just hypothesizing here where, you know, you have these large global organizations that, you know, want to proactively protect themselves. And perhaps they do have ethical mm. hackers on staff, but they're also seeing this activity. Right. When you, you think about Ukraine, right, and, and the conflict with Russia, Russian, you have this cyber war that stood up with these like volunteer cyber armies. And and it just seems interesting that, you know, is an offensive strategy better than a defensive strategy when it comes to security ahead? Yeah, I think it just depends on how you define offense. Right. Like if you define offense as you know, making sure you're preventing attacks right. from happening in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, it's essential to do that. You want to make sure you're 
you know, you have a zero trust architecture Mm -hmm. as, you know, which is something that the government's been promoting pretty heavily. Like you can't trust any aspect of, um, or any person, like you just have to, it's no longer enough to just defend the perimeter. You have to make sure you're, you know, secured in every space. And so you launch whatever, um, you know, cyber strategy, uh, for your organization that will get you there. Uh, yeah, so that's if that's what you mean by offense, absolutely. That's, that's absolutely a piece of it. I mean, I, I also think of like the movie version too, like the Hollywood version, you know, <laughs> where, where you go out and you're like hunting them down, you know, like I'm helping the government and, you know, and I, I'm sure that people You're look flying at through that. the machines. Exactly. You, you mean where you're flying through the machines? Exactly. I think you've seen War Games one yes. too many times, maybe in the 80s. I don't know. <laughs> What was that show? Hack the movie Hackers back in the nineties too. Hilarious, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm always interested in that topic. Line. Yeah, I mean it's it's a dicey topic, right? I mean, any, any way you slice it, but yeah. <laughs> so that was a great movie. I think maybe that led me to this job, <laughs> right? Can we talk more about that? I want to know, like, given your background, yeah. like you know that you've had with. Oh, the Obama administration and everything else, like what's kind of, how does that inform your perspective? How has that informed your perspective now on, you know, cybersecurity in general and vulnerability programs? Well, I'm a really mission oriented person. Um, So I have, you know, working in the government for a long time, like you kind of take for granted that at the end of every day, you get to feel really good about what you do. Um, and so at the end of every day, I worked in the Obama White House. I felt really good about the things that we were doing. Yes, not every day was like roses and sunshine, but it was certainly um, made me feel like, OK, I, I contributed in some small way to the overall mission. And it's a little bit harder to do that in the private sector. Um, but I did feel like I had that at Hacker One in part because of their service to um, the Pentagon and others. Uh, other agencies, you know, you get to feel like, okay, I'm doing my part to protect data and, and you know, the service men and women, um, you know, who rely on that data. And, and, and it really is very satisfying to be able to help deliver um, on the government's mission in that regard. So that is sort of how I got here. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was funny to go from, uh, you know, being in the White House when the program started to now being on this side, working for the same company that won that first contract. That's kinda, I am kind of curious, like just given the broader, just given the broader um, scope you had at the White House around cybersecurity strategy, like what are the lessons that you wish or key takeaways or lessons that the private sector should learn from the public sector's approach to cybersecurity? Because I think the government's, you know, we, you know, for all the things we keep saying they don't do right, I think there's a lot of things they get right, you know? Absolutely. What are those things we should learn from in private in the industry? Sure. Well, the, um, I guess number one is, you know, they have vulnerability disclosure programs at all agencies, right? right? They, that's a mandate. They said this is important and it helps us identify problems and so we are going to make sure it's a requirement for all agencies. And yet, you know, as I mentioned, federal contractors and other companies haven't gotten on board yet. And I do think it, it, that's one thing that the government gets right, that, um, that others 
you know, our customers obviously understand the value, but I think there, there are a lot more uh, who need to understand the value of it and, and get on board. Um, you know, the other thing is investing in cybersecurity. I mean, the it wasn't a coincidence that they released the strategy and then a couple weeks later, they released the budget or the president's proposed budget. And so there has been a huge amount of cybersecurity funding in the past, but they nonetheless uh, proposed a 13% increase for next year's budget in cybersecurity. So, you know, I know times are a little bit tighter than they have been in the past. And a lot of folks are watching this economic, um, you know, climate with some trepidation, but you really can't skimp on cybersecurity because you'll pay for it later. (laughs) Uh, So, and the government, I think gets that right, right? They're investing or they're proposing, you know, a, a pretty substantial increase, even though they had a pretty substantial increase last year as well. I think it's interesting when you have a bug bounty program or some kind of vulnerability disclosure program, you're, you're basically asking, Hey guys, come and hack me, find stuff I missed. Right. Right. And if you're, and typically the assumption is your team already is doing individual pen testing, vulnerability scanning, application scanning. The goal is, you know, not to have, you know, to reduce the amount of things that are found by these ethical hackers and these vulnerability bug programs. Cause I would imagine that it forces organizations that don't have the right rigor around vulnerability practices to stand that up also. If you think about it, if I require you to be part of a vulnerability disclosure program where you're eliciting third parties to come and hack you, I better have my house in order first, (laughs) a little bit. Well, yes and no, right? I mean, we have a multitude of of customers and they're at different levels of their cybersecurity sort of sophistication. So we have the like the super well-resourced, absolutely you know, very mature programs who still see value in having their whole systems open to ethical hackers because people are human. We make mistakes, you know, things change. Configurations might lead to of configurations of software might lead to vulnerabilities. You need to have a constant review and a pen test is, you know, no disrespect to the pen test, but they're periodic. Um, they're not as frequent. You don't get the results right away. Um, you know, we offer pen testing at Hacker One too, and it's there's value to it, but there's also value in that continuous review. Um, so that's you know, a sophisticated uh, a customer gets just as much as a customer who is at the beginning of their cybersecurity uh, journey. Um, when I in between the time that I left the White House and the time I started Hacker One, I went to a different startup um, that didn't have a, a cybersecurity, it didn't have a CISO yet. They had a very good chief technology officer, but no CISO. And so one of the first things I did is, is hire Hacker One um, because I wanted to make sure that we were, at the time, it was a healthcare uh, company and so had a lot of, you know, PHI, personal health information. And, you know, it, it was a make it or break it situation. We had to ensure that we were protecting that, um, you know, healthcare information in order to keep our business. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that we uh, ultimately did that by hiring HackerOne. 
So lots of different folks and they all get different value out of this, out of the continuous review. I mean, one other thing about uh, the value is actually that the, you know, you can scan your system all day long. And again, there's a lot of value in that. No disrespect to any other system or program, but that you get so much noise. There's so many false positives and you need people who are ultimately going to sort of cipher through that noise. And so you, you have a much higher hit rate when it comes to human based security, because they're not going to get paid if they send you something that's just a bunch of noise. So there's a disincentive to make those reports. They want they want the biggest reward. They want the biggest yield. And so they're going to focus on the highest impact. And I can imagine a future, too, where, you know, it, this becomes more part of your standard operating procedure, right? I mean, because you hear a lot about how can you trust like consumer software, right? With all the open source and all the other vulnerabilities. Um, you know, if we were to go to a grading system, much like we have for restaurants, right? There's a, there's a grading system. I, I imagine something like this would be very critical, right? To kind of helping assess where, where a company or, and their software may fall in the spectrum. A plus. All around, A plus. <laughs> if you've got, I'm the yes, I absolutely agree. You, you're, I like this idea. I think we should implement it. And if you have a vulnerability disclosure program, you get an A. And if you have a bug bounty program, you get an A plus. I love it. Okay, I would use I'm just picturing going. On, I'm picturing going on Amazon, and every <laughs> toy has not just the price, but underneath it is some rating. <laughs> yes. Let's. Well, actually, the, you know, the administration is proposing uh, a rating system for um, for devices, right? For so it's not so far fetched to uh, grade somebody based on their cybersecurity policies and programs. But I like this idea. Let's do it. I like it too. I, you know, I like we we joke about my Furbo, but I have no idea. I don't know what kind of rating my Furbo has, and it's recording everything in my home. <laughs> like it's right. Like right over right. here. Rachel, do you know where it's going? To the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Who's well, cloud? We, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, that's that's the and big we, question. Before we went on can or before we went on mic, we talked about our Amazon addiction. And so if you put a grading scale next to the product, it might actually help me curb some of my Amazon purchases. So I, I actually like this idea for more than one reason. Absolutely. Especially all the connected devices we keep adding, you know, in, in our day-to-day -day lives, you just have no idea what's going on in the background. It's true. It's true. It's scary in that regard. So I got to ask, what's the future hold? And I mean, you, you, you know, everything you're working on at HackerOne and beyond, like what are some of the projects that most excite you right now? Ooh, a good one. Yeah, well, um, HackerOne actually just launched a brand new product, um, which is pretty exciting. And it's uh, a code review product. So this is, you know, at, at various stages, developers might want someone to take a look at, you know, at what they've created. And this allows uh, a, a new look at, uh, at code review. Um, and then similarly, you know, we just for one customer um, helped them, they had been breached and we just helped them look, okay, we know that this 
this isn't happened. This, this is out. Our code is out there. And so will you please take a look, um, in real time to tell us what vulnerabilities we need to fix right now. Nice. Um, so it's that's a relatively new product for HackerOne, but one that's just as important as you know the product we've been delivering successfully for ten years. Absolutely. So that's our that's the future of HackerOne. There's lots of um, it, you know we also launched a pen testing um, pen testing uh, business as well, which is going really well. Um, so I'm excited about all of these products for HackerOne. I like it. You're you're shifting left and expanding right, meaning you get into the developers and you're expanding to yeah. the external pen yes. test side as well. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and you know, folks are excited, right? They want to go to sort of a one. Our customers are excited. They want to have like a one stop shop, um, right? Um, and we're also we ha- we actually launched even one more product, which is um, asset scanning. Uh, as well, so we're we're partnering with a, another company to do an asset scanning, um, and you know, and to then be able to help advise after that scanning is complete. So you know, again, a one-stop shop. I mean, that was kind of my takeaway from RSA. I don't know about you, but I walked the floor, and I thought, my God, there are so many individual products that target one tiny little sliver mm-hmm. of a company's cybersecurity strategy, like. How many of these products do I have to rack up in order to have like a full stack? So <laughs> I don't know. I'm not yes. a CISO. Yeah. It's yeah. staggering. It was staggering. And so if I was a CISO, that would that would be, you know, that's just a lot to contend with. So you you want to go to a company that has a more comprehensive solution. Absolutely. It's funny. I think I've heard like most CISOs or security for departments have like 50 to 70 different technologies that they use just to basically meet the requirements. So it's, there's definitely, I think, a trend I saw where more of the platform consolidation more than ever, and especially with the macroeconomics we're seeing, I think it's, you know, pretty common to say, hey, how do I do more with less? Or how do I simplify security to make sure that the people I have, I can train them on two technologies instead of one, let's say, that just have to be on the same platform. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I'm, so given the background you've had, you've you know you've had the Obama administration. You're now dealing with ethical hackers. You've got really unique perspective and experience. Where do you see the future of cybersecurity in the next five or ten years? Ooh. You know, it sounds like you want to have Amazon rate all everything for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, again, just to curb my own purchase right. problem, <laughs> anything to help with that yeah. would be much. Uh, welcomed. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Obviously, everyone's thinking about AI right now. Um, I know actually HackerOne a couple years ago did a, a pilot for a company to try to get hackers to um, see if they could identify biases in AI. And so I do think that's the future is very much there. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what it looks like. If I did, I would have a product to announce to you today. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's just constantly evolving. I mean, the last couple of years, even the government strategy has been constantly evolving. I think a couple of years ago, every and certainly when I was there, everyone was focused on you know nation states, and now that's obviously always going to be a concern. Um, but instead, you know, the most recent, most disruptive uh, cyber attack came from 
cyber criminals in 2021 with the colonial pipeline, right, which totally disrupted the entire East Coast. So I think it's sometimes it's hard to even see next year, let alone five to 10 years. And we've seen, you know, sort of constant shifts because uh, there are constant changes in technology and sophistication of of, uh, cyber criminals. What advice do you give young professionals, I guess, who are interested in uh, cybersecurity in a role like yours, you know, chief legal officer or chief policy yet, you know, do they go cyber? Do they go legal first? Do they hack while they're in high school and then become a lawyer, which would be interesting? That would be interesting. I, well, I always tell young people generally to just pursue your passion um, because you're going to do your job well if you are happy doing it. So that is my strategy. I just jump from place to place if I'm happy. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't jump frequently, but I, you know, if, if, if something is moving to me, if it's meaningful, if I enjoy the work and enjoy the people, then I think it's worth doing. And so my advice to young people would be really to pursue your passion. Um, and if that's cyber, great. If that's law, great. If it's both, terrific. There's room for everyone. It's definitely... So I do want to be mindful of time. And uh, this has been such a great discussion, Alana. I mean, I I think we're just scratching the surface here, too, because the whole ethical hacking, I mean, there's there's a lot lot to talk about there. And I I think to Petco's point, just the perceptions, right? I mean, that's that's a a huge shift on its own, right, on on people to kind of embrace more of the ethical hacking hacking and, and, and the good that it can deliver to them. Well, if I've done nothing else, I hope I have convinced you that hackers, the word hacker should not have a negative <laughs> connotation and that you should always distinguish between hackers and cyber criminals. Like if I've done that, my work here is done. I like that. Well, I'm on board. So you got me. That's for sure. Great. <laughs> all right. Well, to- one down, a mm, uh, yeah. hundred million to go. Right. Yeah, we're working on one it. One at a time. One at a time. <laughs> Well, it starts with one domino, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just flick it over and we're ready to go. Well, to all of our listeners, thank you again for, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Alana Cohen, thank you so much for, for the great discussion. Um, we have a new outro we're going to try today, right, Petco? <laughs> yep. Let's try it. All right. This has been Rachel Lyon and Petco Stoinoff bringing you another episode of To The Point Cybersecurity. Remember to stay informed, stay secure, and always stay ahead of the ever-changing threat landscape. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.